Listen, I don't have much time, but do you feel like you're going out of your gourd? Are you, do you have the cabin fever? Have you run out of Netflix to watch? If, has the thought occurred, hey, you know what? I can make funny stuff. I've been watching TikTok. I've been watching all the social networks and seeing what kind of creativity is coming out. I could create that. Hey, you know what? I wish they made a podcast about this. Well, you know what? You can make your own podcast. Go to anchor.fm. Go to it, please, right now. Make your own podcast. It's the lazy person's way to make stuff. You can make little segments. Uh, you could put music on there, found sounds, babies laughing, neighbors throwing frisbees, uh, uh, your friends playing guitar. Ah, it's so good. Anchor.fm. Please get this and find me. Inspirato Projecto. Let's be friends. Okay? Anchor.fm. Okay, we are here. This is our, as they call the consolation prize. If you've ever gone to any fairs, any of those uh, at elementary schools growing up, this is the consolation prize. Um, K Chung Studios, strange uh, technical situation. So we decided to go ahead and do the podcast and, and make some use of this. And uh, so I'm here with Craig Spivak, comedian extraordinaire. And um, we were just talking about Fishbone and how. Yachtly Crew is going to be playing at the Surf Rodeo and then also at the 311 Cruise. And so Craig decided to tell us his intriguing story. Let's listen in. <laughs> okay, so you did. It's like a, it's like a Huell Hauser mic. Yeah. It's, it's, it looks like a clown mic that you're pointing at me with a phone attached to it. It's really... I almost feel like it should have a little face on it so you can like look yeah. at it so it just smiles up at you. I'm expecting like... Like it to squirt water at me or something like. <laughs> right, well, like one of those clown flowers, where yeah, like it's like a clown gets flower. Gets you right in the eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> That's because we're so high tech here. That's we're right. Utmost professionalism here, uh, at the NoHo Cafe. Is that where we're mm-hmm. NoHo Cafe. God bless. I've never been. It's great. Surrounded by the, uh, and you'll see the photos. I'll upload this to the uh, Inspirato Projecto website. Uh, surrounded by photos of the original cast members. I'm not sure what that woman's name is, but then there's Gilda Radner, and there's. Oh, oh, oh! Is she around? Is she still Absolutely. doing stuff? She's a huge voiceover. Uh, oh, that's cool. Absolutely. Then we got John Belushi, and we got uh, da- uh, we got uh, Bill Murray up there. The big four here: Lorraine Newman, Gilda Radner, John Belushi, and Bill Murray. The, the super team. And, but there's no autographs or anything like that. I don't think they were. Ever. Hello. Oh yes. I want more coffee, definitely. I'm <laughs> uh, just a plate of fries with ranch dressing on the side. Thank you. I would I would love I would love to have the um, the number one with scrambled eggs, please. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you how did you meet Angela Moore? How did this whole thing okay, so evolve? All you, the details. You and I were talking about the all the giblets and drippings. We need right. to hear. These. Well, you're going to be on a boat with with Fishbone and 301 coming up the Gammon, which is just a dream come true. And then I, rem- I hadn't thought about this in 20 years, but I did, in fact, meet Angelo Moore uh, about 20 years ago. I went, was open micing, and I went to an open mic at the Cobalt Cafe in Topanga, Topanga Sherman Way. Mm. And if you're local valley trash like, like we are, like <laughs> you know all these, these coffee houses that are no longer there that used to do these open mics. Wait, it's gone now? 
I hope not. That was one of the places I originally did some open mics at. As Kurt moves his mode of transportation <laughs> out of the booth and the skateboard will we'll make the waitress trip. Oh my god, we are just the utmost. We are, we are just trashy. It's wobbling like right in front I of me. I know. It's really strange. I know. Well, it's really funny. It's 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 okay. Um, <laughs> it's wobbling. Hey, <laughs> it's talking. It's a clown it's bike. It's, it's really bad. It's the ventriloquist uh, bike. Oh, thank you very much. More yeah. coffee. Mm. Uh, I want to say, keep it going, dudes. Hey, keep it going. It's that kind of coffee shop that we're in. Like, hey, it is. It is. We, this it should is. be. This interview should be taking place at three a.m. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, uh, we could pretend it's three a.m. Keep the coffee coming, dudes. Keep it coming. Barely hold my head above water over here. So, okay, so this is Deep Valley lore, but there used to be a coffee house called the Cobalt Cafe. had a blue-colored theme or whatever, and it was just just your typical crappy coffee house that just dotted the, the streets all over the valley. The coffee, it's not like the coffee was great or anything like that. It wasn't. It was, it was crap. Everything about it was crap. The whole place was crap. But... It was still uh, an interesting place to hang out. I was there very briefly, and they ran an open mic. And because it's in that area and in the valley, you never know who's going to show up. And one night uh, at that open mic, Angelo Moore showed up. And I couldn't believe it. I didn't think it was him at first, but then I realized it was. And he comes up to the microphone... And the inter- Angelo Mar comes out, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's Angelo Mar. And it, all of a sudden, we're in a fishbone concert. Not, but you have to, not, they're not playing instruments, it's just him. And he pulls out his actual personal journal, you know, and in handwritten form, he reads the poem, They All Have Abandoned Their Hopes, which is an amazing poem that he had written that he then turned into a song off of the album that they were working on at the time, Give a Monkey a Brain and he'll think he rules the universe, which is their famous record that came out after uh, the big one, Reality of My Surroundings, because they had, they had like a big three records that the, the labels really got behind. And that was, the third one was uh, Give a Monkey a Brain. It didn't do nothing, and, and I think they got cut or something. But that song is incredible. That album is incredible. So wait, so, so, so the title of the poem is the same title of the song? I believe so. I think on the record it's called They All Have Abandoned Their Hopes, or uh, it might, they might have retitled it as a different song, but that's the poem. And he, wrote, he read it from the book, exactly as it appears on the record that would come out a year later. So I felt like I was a witness to history on that, just, just because. I don't know. Angelo, Angelo Moore is very valley. Fishbone's very valley. You know, um, seeing that and being a part of that was was amazing. And I and I that was the thing. I was young, and I was arrogant, and I I I schmoozed him afterwards. Which I, I looking back on that, I'm kind of like I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? I just leave people alone, whatever. But Angelo was so cool. It was like I went up to him. I was like, Hey, Angelo, what's where's the bone tonight? He's like, Oh, I don't know. They're 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 hanging out somewhere. You know, he was just so nice and personable. And I was a poser, you know, I was just a, I was trying to break in as a stand-up even back then, and I don't know if he saw my act or anything, I hope he didn't, you know, <laughs> so, but he was nothing but, nothing but generous and nothing but decent, and 
and I got to it's it's weird I was in the room with genius I don't, I don't know how else to describe it and I, I don't know I, you brought it up fish, fishbone I hadn't thought about that in, in, in 20 years so you're saying that you so it was a full year before you actually saw I mean you saw the the roots you saw the, the seeds actually you yeah. saw the seeds that, right. that grew into that song that must have been crazy when you actually heard it I mean what, what was that reaction like where were you and what happened when you I, first heard that song I bought the record <laughs> when it came out I just bought the record I'm this is in the era of CDs, so that not you know, I'm going to date myself, you know, right there. So you, you you would you would buy the CD in a long box. Remember that long box, and that, that they, there was complaints against the long box being unenvironmental, and then Spinal mm. Tap came out with the extra long box. Remember that one? <laughs> I thought that was genius. That's great. Right. So you I bought it, you know, like the warehouse or something. I don't remember where I bought it from, and. Uh, Long, uh, came home, listen, put it on CD player, listen to it, and I was like, I know that song. Why do I know that song? I've never heard this record before. Oh, I know this song because I've heard this before. Weird, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's how it works. It gave me a perfect uh, window in on the process of creativity. You know what I mean? Just, I, I mean, he could have. When I saw him actually do that, I, he could have written it that afternoon. I have no idea. It was, you know, it was in long. It wasn't like he was pulling out a tight piece of paper or anything like that. It wasn't like he was taking out the album lyrics or anything like that. No, he would had written it in his journal that day and and was expressing it that night because he knew he had to say it obviously a couple times to get the rhythm right and to get. I'm sure he changed a word or two and all that crap, but it was all there. And so I went from just him saying it in front of us raw to it being within the legitimate parameters that we considered released music, especially at the time. You know. Uh, CDs, which is for a kid like me, I was 20 or 23, 22. It was mind blowing. It was like, oh, I think I just bore witness to the entire process of creativity from mind to marketplace. You know what I mean? And they're all relevant and they all matter. How did, how did that affect you once you saw the once you saw that process of creativity where you're like, ooh, that's where it began, and ooh, now I hear the end product. Like when when you saw someone that you really highly respected, how did that? Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. Like at that era in my life, I was high all the fucking time. So I just was like, yeah. It was just like one moment in that, a wormhole moment from one moment to the next. I couldn't tell you what what I was thinking. I couldn't. I didn't. In fact, I haven't put the pieces together completely until this moment. In terms of what I actually have experienced, and and things like that, I've experienced, you know, my whole life. I don't, I can't think of anything at the moment, but that's an example of one of them. So, I, I, you know, where that put me as a creator, that that made me say, oh, you know, here's the process. You know, this is this is achievable. This is how it happens. Did it give you comfort when you go to create your own stuff that you go, hey, look, I have this solid thing in my brain of someone doing this, and now. Like, everybody goes through this kind of thing? I think so. I think it gave me a blueprint. And whether or not I care, I chose to read that blueprint or not was up to me. You know, you have to activate it. And I think there was a part of me that was very passive for a long time and just said, oh, isn't that cool, the way that one moment led to the next? Like, the way you describe synchronicity. <laughs> oh, look at that. So, obviously, that's, that's okay because it, you have to be open and receptive. But there's also a part of me that's like analytical and and wants to discover the meaning behind that process mm -hmm. and the every nut and bolt that in regards to that and that's where that's where the fun is now as I'm older because I don't take things for granted. Well, thank you. Oh, look at this. We got pancakes. We got eggs. We got French fries. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, 
Okay, so did you have an idea that when he played that poem, did he give any context of saying, this is a song I'm working on, or he just, no. he just read it? just read it. He, he mentioned nothing about the record or anything like that. Thank either. you. My compliments to the chef. My oh, gosh, this coffee is so good. Okay. Thank you. Um, as I recall, I could, maybe he mentioned, I don't think so, though. I don't recall anything like that. I think he just he was just up there doing it because... Fishbone's, Fishbone's history was so, you know, shaky. Maybe he didn't know that it would turn into a record at that point. Oh. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. he was working on solo stuff, and he's like, man, fuck that band. Because they had so much drama, you know. He was, who knows? Who knows what, what the, the genesis was. When you when you heard him reading that poem, was did, did it click in your brain at all in those moments where you go, ooh, wouldn't that be cool if this were an upcoming song? Or did you just kind of take it for what it was? I mean, I remember just thinking... He's on a roller coaster ride, and we're all kind of just with the, with him on it. You know, I saw it as a poem. I didn't see it as song lyrics or anything like that, or even a song. And I think that's what his goal was. I think he wanted to really cathart the, this, the poem itself. I can't quite remember. We could probably get it on uh, on, the, on the computers, but uh, it was just all about abandonment <laughs> and people who get, have given up and. Uh, Perseverance or something—I don't know what it was. It was—you could tell he was going through something. It's cool when a poem, when lyrics can stand on their own, all by themselves, then you know it's a really good yep. song, right? <laughs> because Absolutely. if they just did, it just could sit there on their own, kind of like when you listen to an acoustic guitar and you go, "Ooh, that's a great song," and then they add other things to it, and you're going, "Oh my gosh, they really spiced it up." I think, I mean, it, it just—it just gave me a window in on a genius and their process. That's all. That's how I saw it. And now, in, as I'm older, I choose to unwrap that gift. I don't think I did for a lot of years. Eventually, I remember thinking, oh, wow, that poem was what he did. You know? And I did the math, you know, slowly but surely. But, it's, you know. but these days, it's like I take every moment like that now very, you know, <laughs> very, very ser seriously, you know. I don't know. I mean, do, do you think it's important for um, fellow artists to see the process of of um of who their favorite you know i don't want to say idols but who their favorite musicians or you know influences you know go through i think i've heard the expression never meet your idols mm -hmm. you know because you'll just it'll <laughs> it'll uh it'll crush you mm -hmm. in terms of they won't live up to because it's just a person you know but in terms of seeing their process like like i always get excited um See, whenever you know, I see work, behind the scenes, whenever work is something different. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember when growing up, I watched documentaries like the Sting documentary. He did a what was that? He did the Dream of the Blue Turtles record and album, and then Bring on the Night was the documentary that they released with it, and then there was a live record for that. And I loved all that aspect of because they they showed him in the studio you know, writing that first, and they create a drama with it, if you think about it, it was just all like, will he survive the legacy of the police, you know, all that stuff, and, you know, will he write these songs, and will, they, they, will we accept him as Sting, you know, all this shit, whatever, and I was like, oh, I was like only 17 or 18 when that came in, I was like, oh, I hope we accept him as Sting, <laughs> I hope we accept him, you know, shit like that, so, and that night, Stuff like that does fascinate me. That that is 
That is going to help you. <laughs> that is as part of the process, I think. Because, I mean, that's why I... I Let's see. I'm going to see if I can jam this into uh, uh, a holder. There we go. There, we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Test one, two. Yeah. I mean, that that's why, you know, you have... I'm reading. I love it. A lot of the time, I mean, that's what we discuss on this podcast is that process in terms of, of, of where it comes from and where it's going because it's all relevant and it all plays into it. And I am a fan of that. And I like I, the, the movies and, and books and writings that I, I'm a fan of, that I try to write, that I try to express of the same ilk. I want people to know the exact process of what's happening mm. as well as what's happening. I don't just want it to be a movie. I want it to be a movie about a movie about a movie or some shit. So yeah, I mean that adds an extra layer to it that I find fascinating, and I always have. I, it goes back to postmodern thought and, and creativity, and uh, author named Borges that I studied in college and all that stuff. You know, I did the basics of study in terms of postmodernism and how it how it plays itself out on our reality, and it's it's, it's not an easy thing to, un, to unravel. And, People don't exactly want that, but I think in terms of comedy and, and art, I think it's what we're after. I think that's what exactly what Andy Warhol was about, and Andy Kaufman, and everyone in between. And and I think that there's nothing wrong with the other side. I think you need both. I think you need conventional as well as uh, something else, something beyond. And, you know that that that's how. That's what I respond to, and that, and that was coming through that. Yeah, you know, and I think the thing, too, is that, like, when we get a chance to see people who we um, appreciate, uh, who have inspired us, and we carry those songs with us through the years, or we love that art or whatever, um, when we get a chance to see their process, I think um, it offers us that possibility of embracing, you know, I mean, yes, all, when we initially come across this stuff, all we're presented with is the finished product, mm -hmm. the, the genius aspect of it. When we're given that gift of being able to see the process of it, now we go, oh my gosh, it, it now it's a human who's creating something, who has their own struggles or their own, you know, it, it, it gives you this idea that there's a process to it, you know, and you might as well just go ahead and fall in love with it. Because imagine, like, if the stuff that we wanted to have happen happened so immediately, would we actually appreciate it when we had it? Or do we appreciate it more when we... I kind of have to go through something to get it. It's like the quest, you know, it's like fighting the dragon and then the quest really is worth something. Right. But if you were just given the gold by the king, like, here you go. I mean, yeah, oh, wow, that's awesome. But the fact that you had to go through this whole big crazy thing right. to get that, it's Absolutely. like, oh, my that, gosh. That gives it relevance, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's always, I don't know why, maybe want to pause it anyway. we have we have only the uh the the highest um <laughs> the 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 uh what do they call it almost the, only the highest definition uh here on the, the tech the tech behind the show is absolutely just oh out. yeah the te the te we're, we're jamming the the phone into a salt and pepper shaker now <laughs> um yeah. I remember just how, how dumbfounded I was when I first saw uh, behind-the-scenes footage of Star Wars when those guys are flying that's the Millennium great, Falcon. That's a great example. Oh, boy. <laughs> when, when Star Wars came out, you know, 
they had essentially created a magic that really no one had done before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and what's her? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to... Oh, there we go. So, right. so it angles more oh, towards oh, it. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What can I? What can I? I'm trying to find something good and stable. Process. It really is. This is part of the process. Oh my gosh. No. Let's see. What do we do here? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. Gives it a little bounce. Take a picture. You got to put this. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, you have. Oh yeah. I'll take a picture. Or let's take a picture with yours. Yeah. Where's my phone? Cutting edge technology. That's right. Oh. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, Cutting edge technology. And you just cannot deny it. There it is. Okay. Oh mm, goodness. Can you edit in all this stuff? Or? Uh-uh. <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> We're screwed. Yeah. All right. Here I am talking about editing. We get to see. We get to hear all the sloppiness. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you remember, but... Okay, Star but, Wars. When, yeah, when Star Wars came out, um, about, like, like remember, back in the 70s, movies played for longer in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was out for months, you know? And so that was a big deal, right? And then they finally got it out of theaters. Yeah, I did. And, uh, I was looking for... Um, it was about to be on television yeah, or something. But part of the hype behind it was to do features about the making of Star Wars. And I don't know if you remember, but there was one that they called SPFX, The Star Wars Story. That's amazing. You remember the title of it. Absolutely. Because what it did, it was like an hour special. It was hosted by Mark Hamill or some, I think it was Mark Hamill. And he's just talking, and I think he talked with Lucas and, and Douglas, I believe he talked with Douglas Trumbull and, uh, I forget his other name, the guys who were behind the effects, you mm. know, and they walk us through uh, sequences, right? So the X-Wing and the, the TIE Fighters fighting on the Death Star, those plateau shots, and, mm. and then they would cut, so they'd show the scene from the film, and then they would cut to being on set and showing the first ever computerized uh, movement tracks and shit like that and how they would line those shots up. Wow. And they explained green screen and animation and all that stuff. I just remember watching that and I was just like... <laughs> you know what I mean? Just dying. And then when they were showing the Return of the Jedi stuff where they they had they built little dolls. They built right. little they built little action figures and they did the, the speeder bike scene through the through the Endor forest. Remember that one? Yes. They did like they cut together like a like a poor man's version of it. Look at you. Well, that's all I want to say. But they put, cut together like a poor man's version of it, where they got a little tiny Luke and Leia. That was that was probably the first time that they did previs. Mm. That's previsualization. Mm-hmm. So, I, I that whole that whole part of it fascinated me, and it still does. And it, well, it, the back it, it kind of I think that it helped keep me interested and now that I know all these inner inner secrets of Star Wars I want more and and that probably I'm guessing that fueled my Star Wars psychosis that I suffer from to this day <laughs> so why you know why wouldn't it and, and I think that the, these movies were so huge and so important that these were the first films that had to have that you know what I mean? Because they weren't, essentially, they weren't character-driven. They were effects-driven. And people wanted to know, what the hell was going on with that stuff? You know? 
and and so that whole market came out. And if you think about it, when DVD started coming out, there was always a making of at the beginning mm. of the DVD. Oh yeah, you know, it became the sort of the extras feature. I'd always box those because it, I loved it, and I love uh, depending on the film. I absolutely love uh, directors' tracks when they, you know what I mean, when they uh, they comment on their film. Mm hmm. Because then they just start going off on. Oh, the key grip was an asshole, you know, shit like that. <laughs> just shit that you would never know, you know. And they don't mind. Thank you. They don't mind talking shit or whatever. They realize that, you know, now's the time. But it was also like film school, you know. I remember the, one of the first, one of the first ones that I remember watching was the, the player, uh, Robert Altman. The player, 1991. <laughs> mm. We would watch. Me and John Dorota would sit in our dorm, and that was our that was our class. Because he had gotten the Laserdisc Criterion Collection of the player, you know, and that's with director's track Altman talking over each scene, saying, "Yeah, we wanted to do it this way. We didn't do it. We, didn't. we wanted to have a comparable opening shot compared to Touch of Evil and all that stuff." I'm like, "What the hell is all this stuff?" It was fascinating. It was like it was, that was class. We skipped class to, to just watch that. Smoke wow. weed and watch that. And then from then on, I, I was a complete Altman head. I was like, I, I need to study whatever it is that he did, just in terms of how he put a film together. Brilliant stuff. And a lot of that was fueled as a result of, you know, the behind the scenes and the director's track and, and that process of the process. I still find it fascinating. It's, I'm always on Wikipedia, you know, <laughs> who is this person or whatever? Who are they? Do they have a wiki page? You know, I'll just read that because that helps fill in the gaps in terms of what uh, what's going on with the story. Mm. It's neat to see what motivations, what inspirations, and what perspectives those directors are coming from when they create that product. Um, that's why I love those, like you're saying, the commentary, the behind-the-scenes stuff, because yeah. you get to see, like, like they're going, oh, I was reading a lot of... You know, I don't know. I was reading the Odyssey at the right. time, and I decided to, you know, there's this part in the Odyssey where this happens, and I right. thought, wouldn't that be great if there was a scene that was kind of similar to that, you know? But we just dressed it up a little differently, right. but it still echoes that spirit. You're going, wow, or, that's or, great. Or, or. They always have random references, things that you would never think of. Oh, right, you know? right. I was watching a Tide commercial, and I thought, boy, that'd make a great battle scene or something. That was an example. That was that was hyperbole for comedic effect. And the beautiful thing is, when you see that, I think, I mean, I think it's important for creative people to 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 see that kind of stuff because then what it does then is they see reflections of themselves in those people. I mean, the stuff that we're drawn to, we're seeing reflections of ourselves in it. In in a sense, there's something about it that's magnetizing it to it. So we see a piece of ourselves, and I think when we see that, when we see these wonderful things happening, and we're um, being inspired by these particular authors or um, musicians or whatnot, and we go, oh my gosh, you know, what what was their idea in making this thing, and then we see it, and then we go, holy cow, that gives me assuredness, that gives me excitement, right. and um, a, a, it allows me to kind of give a pat, give me a pat on my own back, give, give me a stamp of approval with what we might think are strange ideas that we just scribble down in the journal, like a weird name for a character, or a, I mean, could you imagine how many, how many crazy weird names George Lucas has in, 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 in an idea book someplace that just went, that. and then there they are, there are those names that he puts There's in the no movie. no name generator or anything like that, he just was coming up with those, I was trying to figure that one out, it's like, how do you, how did he design names like that, how does that work, and it goes back to language, and languages that he had studied, or 
I don't know. I, I have no idea. And I, I found that fascinating. So. Well, wouldn't it be interesting, too, if we end up finding out that after this whole time, it was like maybe there were anagrams of, like, you know, his grandma's name or an anagram of, like, his next-door neighbor's name or his dog's name or what have you, and they, whoosh, and they stick really that together. Like French toast, so I spelled it backwards and put a couple extra umlauts. That's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> what I always loved was that the action figures had... Each action figure had a story. Oh, that was my first introduction to, like, looking, you know... The, the idea that background characters still have a history to them, yeah. you know? And so the, here comes these action figures, and there's Hammerhead, and you're going, what, this dude has a name? Like, oh, and here's his story? Wow. Right. You know, or IG-88, you know? They never say these people's names in the movie, but it's right. freaking beautiful. And then you see, like, this, like, this little list of these things. Any of those background actors could possibly become a trading card or an action figure <laughs> with a whole history or behind them. Or, or a movie. I think that's the idea. I mean, I you know, that backstory, it's like, I think Lucas, when he was concocting Star Wars, he's like, this might make movie, this, this might make the movie, this might not. I don't care, I'm going to write it anyways, with a full backstory. And I've heard stories about him. He's He's got full worlds created that we've never seen. He's got full stories. He was a consultant on the Clone Wars, like the the series. And there's just a fascinating amount of detailed, brilliant story and character on that show that it's like, and I did the director's track and I listened to uh, Dave Filstein, I think his name is, He was he's like the George Lucas of that show and he talked about how, yeah, George would just come in with ideas, you know, we, they were more brilliant than anything we, <laughs> we came up with. He was still coming up with ideas even as late as, you know, season six of Clone Wars so what does that tell you in terms of process he, it never stops for him I heard that that's part of his frustration with the uh, the sign over to Disney is that he's not in the mix as he, as he was and it's like well that's why they paid you four billion dollars you know <laughs> you gotta go I think you know still, he could have taken two billion same. with with the with the uh, caveat that right. he can still collaborate on these ideas and stories because it all came out of his brain. You know, it's unfair to take the the yeah. the founder out of the equation when he was the guy who freaking built this whole dance floor that everyone's dancing on. You know, it doesn't matter. It, it you know, I think that he said, "I need help," and mm. I think that he understands that there are other stories that could be told, and I think he like like that concept of it. And the four billion doesn't hurt, obviously, but. Um, I mean, I, God, I, if you say that he's got all these worlds built it up and everything. He's a world so let's say he's got all these worlds built. He's got $4 billion and plus who knows ever how much. He could easily fund, you know, a lot of $10 million films <laughs> with these worlds, you know, that he's created. It's yeah. dumbfounded me that all these years he's only directed a few of those things. What, Howard the Duck? He had some thing about airplanes in the sky. He had, um, the, um, he had the help with the, well, Star Wars, of course. And what the heck else did he work on? Well, oh boy, I don't know. That's going into deep George Lucas lore. Oh, that's right. THX 1138. But it's like, holy moly. American Graffiti. Oh, yeah, American Graffiti. Yeah, I mean, you know, Electric Labyrinth at USC as a grad student, that led him to uh, THX 1138 with Robert Robert Duvall, which is not a bad film. It's not a great film. Um, But it's the the right film that he was supposed to make at that time, because it's got amazing vision to it. And... uh, 
great car chase at the end. And probably it helped Robert Duvall. That that was the thing that probably helped no, elevate him. Duvall was already broken in, kind of, but I'm pretty sure that got him Godfather. So, mm. you know. Yeah, so, I mean, it, you always see, those that, that right movie at the right time, you know, Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino, uh, El Mariachi for Robert Rodriguez. You know, there's a lot of them. There's... They're, these are just guys that are they're the prodigal child and we know that they're going to be big Spielberg with Duel or Spielberg with you know, Firelight whatever uh, that Firelight film before that even we all knew that's like make make room that was that was the studio saying make room you know and they were because they knew and Coppola knew Coppola gave Lucas his first job or not his first job but a big job on American Graffiti I mean mm. Coppola wanted him for directing I believe that yeah, Coppola and hired Lucas for American Graffiti, and then Lucas wrote and directed it. And there was a connection there between them on Gatsby as well, so whatever. But, I mean, everyone knew, make room for these guys. Make room. And they did. And I think that every artist should have that, but they don't. And that, that hurts. <laughs> you know? I think, you know, I, I, I've realized, I think... Uh, We've learned that we can actually now make our own room with, we can make our own room, you know, by simply creating the art that we want to create in the world. And I think that's why I'm so excited about being able to, the fact that, like, okay, yeah, K Chung was down, but here we have a mobile radio station. <laughs> like, how well, crazy know, that's, is that? That's the right? Or like, we're bits of their moan and that we don't get a shot or anything like that, but I mean, we've got a whole radio station in our hand right now. And if we do this right, a million people could listen to it. Maybe someday. Well, it's interesting because, you know, that's what that's what's interesting because, like, you know, with, with this, you know, the fact that we can have our own radio stations, the fact that we can have our own production companies, how? Well, we got a camera on our phone. Okay, boop, shot a movie. All right, I edited it on my phone, and up, up it goes. I mean, it's astounding. Music, too, we got GarageBand. Cool. Now now you can be your own freaking record label <laughs> just by making stuff on there. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, the comedy of that is, like, yes, this technology is more user-friendly than it ever has been. And more accessible and more reasonably priced, but I'm sorry if you you get a room full of equipment in and there's a bonehead at the control, it's just you're a bonehead with a bunch of crap. You know what what gets better, that person as an artist or that person's gear? You know what I mean? That's been the lifelong question that has possessed me. It's like, oh, is that person? Oh, that person's got a new rack or that person's got a new thing or whatever. You know, oh, look at the pack of access that they just got. Okay, <laughs> what, what are they gonna do with it? You know what I mean? Let's step up. You know, uh, I've met a lot of folks like that who've just got all this crazy technology, and I'm going, okay. So what have you made in the past 20 right. years that what you've had got? all this stuff? Like, Let's, what have you done? I, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I fiddled around. Here's here's a little thing, and I'm going, well, dude, right. like let the artists into that playground and play. Like, let's let He's someone show you. He is he is the artist. He is the genius. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm writing my magnum opus. It's been 15 years, you know, and you're a garbage man or something. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, particularly living in L.A. and being, you know, not involved, involved in our level of the artistic scene or whatever, you're always walking into a room, a, a spare room off the, you know, the, the converted den or converted guest room or garage that was now, is now such and such a studio for such and such purpose. And it's it's always, you know, looks great and the equipment is perfectly relevant and studio quality, I don't know what you you'd call it, you know, but it's like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to listen to the output. 
you know, that yes, I am a fan of the process. Clearly, all what I'm staring at in this room right now are racks of effects or whatever, and, and the process uh, that got you there. So, what do you got? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's why I think it's so admirable, like <laughs> people like Weird Al playing another one rides the bus in his bathroom with a freaking accordion, and you know. If, if we were to look at it in a practical-minded mindset, you know, this day and age, and go, oh, well, how did that happen? Well, what's so crazy is he did the best he could with whatever he had, and he, you know, who knows how many radio stations he sent it out to. Evidently, Dr. Demento got a hold of it and started playing it. It starts becoming this fun fan-favorite thing, which grew within the underground, grew within the underground. That's one of the things that excites the hell out of me is that, you know, that phrase, and it's this is what's so beautiful about cliches. At first, when we hear a cliche, we're like, oh, okay, blah, 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 but then once you actually live the cliche and you go, oh, Okay, I understand what the cliche. cliche? Well, what do, cliche did you live? The cl- well, the cliche I was going to bring up was every dog has his day. That idea of like <clears throat> everyone. I've seen this time and time again throughout my years of seeing you know a band that I that I came across. Well, heck, uh, uh, you know, like you're saying, like in open mics and stuff. Mm-hmm. People that I, I grew up seeing in open mics and everything, and all of a sudden, and there they've they've risen through the years. Or even comic books. Who would have thought that comic books and geeks and nerds and computer stuff would ever find, you know, have a day where, you know, it's a true Revenge of the Nerds moment now in this moment in time. Way back then, people, oh, it's a nerd, blah, blah, blah. People making fun. Well, now you got these sexy girls dressing up like in freaking superhero costumes at the comic convention. It's amazing. Like, you got more people now who know about gigabytes and terabytes and whatever than ever in history, and it's crazy. Little kids who know this technology. So then I'm wondering, what are the next things that are coming about? Well, I think, what I've been noticing in, in the way that the consciousness is working, is that there's becoming a lot more, a lot more media that's blending dream life with waking life in terms of very surreal things. It's becoming so much more of a prevalent thing now. It's growing, it's growing, growing, where people are not watching a movie and getting taken out of it, it's almost like they've been trained already through watching all these other movies and TV shows. So when they see a movie where, let's say, a, a, a big, you know, a puppet pops up, hey, how you doing, Craig? Now, it's, no one's taken out of it. They're just like, oh, okay, that's just how this world is. You know, it's like becoming more of kind of an acceptable thing. Sure. And I think it's going to, I mean, we see it in commercials all the time now. Commercials are crazy with absurdity now. Reality is being extended. Uh, best example to build on what you've just said in terms of show business. I don't know why I'm Johnny show business today, but fuck it. I'm in Johnny show business mood. I just, I, this stuff's just rolling through my head, so whatever. Melissa McCarthy has a, a movie coming out uh, midsummer in about three, two, three months. I saw the trailer. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, murder on Sesame, not murder on something like that. And I, I, I watched the trailer and I could not stop laughing. It looked fucking hysterical. Uh, and I, I can't wait. But that's a great example of what you're talking about because what we have in that film is a, is a recontextualized environment, essentially, that has within its parameter uh, free-talking, anthropomorphized uh, puppets, right? So it, the joke for us, because we're of a certain age group, uh, that's absurd because they're puppets, they're manufactured, and obviously it's a, a ventriloquist. But you've got a whole generation coming up behind them uh, we'll call it ages zero to eighteen. Who are going to watch that film, and they're going to their 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 brain is still wet. They're still accepting shit. So obviously they're smart enough to understand that Muppets aren't real. However, that boundary will be bounced upon 
and I think penetrated on some level in terms of being able to accept the fact that it's a puppet-driven reality. And it may, and at a certain point, as <laughs> I think as, as a reality, it'll become uh, passe. They'll understand it, and they'll get they'll mm. they'll live in it for a while, and then they'll need something else, and then that will spur up something else. Where it, oh my goodness, thank. Well, what's interesting is that it loops right back around. So, okay, so, you know, what's going on in this movie? Uh, um, I, I don't it's mean, so yeah, funny because it's... I don't know what I'm talking Well, about. no, no, you do because the, the thing is is that what's going on in this movie right now, what's so funny is it's exi- it's just a blueprint of Sesame Street, but 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 we but it's a, a, a rated R, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. I think Jim... I think one of the Hensons is actually involved with it, right, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's uh, Brian Henson's film. Uh, it's a Henson, I know that. So yeah, it so, looks great. So what's I so interesting is when, with as little kids, you could as, as soon as people realize that it's a kids show or a TV show, they're like, oh yeah, well let's get you know let's get crazy and surreal and da, 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 right. They're, everyone's thinking outside of the box. Oh, it's for kids. Blah 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 blah. Well, why haven't we always been thinking that way for adults as well? Like it's funny that now it, it's okay to, to piggyback on what you're saying. So those kids are going to grow up, and then that's going to be their basis of of this blending of surreality, so right. to speak. Which is so funny because their starting point is Sesame Street and ideally Mr. Rogers and that type of stuff. So then when when they see that there's a movie out there, it's there, there's not going to be a there's not going to be have they're not going to have to leap, in other words. They're not going to be like, right. oh, I'm making a jump from kids' stuff to adult movies now. Well, the adult movies have now become what the kids' movies all you right. know, in TV shows always knew all along. Right. <laughs> I, I see it as a language that's expanded, but also a border. A, I guess you could call it like a perception boundary that Ooh, humans... That's a good way, perception boundary. A, percep- a perception boundary sort of... I'm sure this is all pretty basic stuff in terms of philosophy but the way I I would describe it is like you and I have a certain level of perception and when we grew up that perception came into being right it didn't happen it didn't happen overnight but it happened fast it's like a sponge you take in a reality and you accept that reality and then that reality becomes concrete you know what I mean so in, in essence because you and I are adults it's it's harder and harder for us to expand that that parameter and I think what ha- what happens is in different cultures and in our culture at certain key points if you do hallucinogenics you can expand that parameter and understand different levels of perception thank you so much it's so delicious so but I think what's going on in in our reality as we evolve is uh, mainstream art is definitely becoming accepting of those parameters mm. as well mm-hmm. and therefore it will influence art to a point where like you just described a child sort of watching that will not it, it won't necessarily affect them and make them uh, evil or anything like that I don't think that I think that that's a myth but I do think it can affect them to the point where they have a perception boundary that's one click beyond where we were as that at yeah. that age, and that to me is evolution, and if so, and it's a tiny little step, and it if you think about it, with each generation that occurs a little more and more and more, a person if there were let's just say, you know, a person who lived in, uh, who lived and was our age in the year nineteen eighteen, so a hundred years ago, and they were watching us. 
they would not they would have a trouble they would have an extreme difficulty first of all with language with our cultural surroundings do you mind if I cast you guys out you're welcome to stay as long as you want sure my ship's in Oh, that's some things never change though. That's, that's what happens. Okay, thank you. Yeah, okay. Um, Kurt is is is, is picking up. The, I wanted that noted. Kurt is picking up the check. <laughs> Do the Inspirado Projector podcast. Yeah, I'm putting it on the uh, on the K Chung Radio uh, uh, business account. Free, free fries and coffee to everyone. Uh, you can only order to the left of the omelets, though. Mm. No comp salads. Stay away from the shrimps, please. Uh, flank steaks. Oh, yes, we have a yes on flank steaks. Uh, no to prime rib. <laughs> flank steaks. Um, one thing I was just thinking was, okay, so as a, as a kid grows up, at some point they start denouncing the shows and stuff that they grew up with because they start going, oh, that's just for kids. I don't right, like that anymore. Right? So... What's beautiful is the way that the direction is heading in, the great news is they will never, ever have to be apologetic about that, that, that programming that they grew up loving ever again. They will never have to be apologetic about it. They can always go, oh, yeah, I still like this. Oh, yeah, I still, of course I like Mr. Rogers. Because the movies, like you're saying, will then have a lot more of that blending of the surreality. There. there will be a bridge there. Thank you. Um, Thank you. In our in our time, it was I didn't like that, or I don't want to talk about that stuff. I want to be cool. Yeah, I think. Right. Yeah, I think in terms of future right. generations. Yeah, it'll start. The conversation will start with Mr. Rogers or whatever that is. Yeah, and then it will it will be a, it has to be an accepted part of the present reality as well. Yes, all all of it will be taken in for sure. I, I, I do. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm thinking of um, like. Thank you for the promise. Oh, you're welcome. I, I was thinking about like how YouTube. <laughs> bless you, bless you. I started thinking about how YouTube. Um, this this happened a number of years ago. I was over at someone's house and we were watching. A, I think it was at my brother's house. We were watching um, when he was living out here. We were watching the, the the Super Bowl. You know, and they always have these commercials. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of absurd commercials. And in addition to a lot of these absurd commercials, number one, I I celebrated and going, okay, good. It's it's penetrating the atmosphere. The thing that I saw through was that these people were really trying to downgrade the quality of it to make it look like it was made on YouTube. Yes. They were actually trying to make these commercials look like they were trying to compete with what was going on YouTube. So let's say you've got some little kid who's in his bedroom, you know, talking about, I don't know, just talk about Star Wars all the time. Really, yeah. He's got three, three million followers and he's making money. Well, guess who wants a piece of that? You know, right, these right, advertisers right. are going, well, I'm spending, I'm spending $3 million on this commercial and this kid's doing this and blah, 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 blah. Why, don't, why don't we just put out a $500 thing, just get a, a camera at Best Buy, you know, let's just shoot the commercial. You know, so I start seeing that I mean, kind of aspect. You know, they don't even do that. What they do is... They hire that full production company and they spend the $30 million on the account, right? And the production company is laughing all the way to the bank because they're like, how are we, what do we, we got a fake, you know, uh, a phone image, right? Yeah. Well, in theory, okay, well, why don't we just do a phone image in there? Yeah, we do that, but we've got all this really cool, expensive gear, so let's use that. So that's why those, those kind of, that's why you're able to detect it also because the tech on those commercials is so cutting edge. It's like no, you're trying. You're taking a 4K. Uh, what is what is there? And trying to make it look like it was done a on 4K, a VH VCR. A 4K red camera with the fucking standard lens, right? And you know you've got a full three lens package there on set. You've got you know you you know mic re-record yeah. all of it pre re pre-re-record. I don't know if they you got the video that. of village. You got all yeah, the uh, grips and the. <laughs> 
just to get it right. And, and yeah. you know, yelling at the actor, Billy, get it right. You know, when Billy's not on camera, he speaks with a Dutch accent. He had four years at Harvard, you know. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, I mean, there's that aspect of it. And all of that is just imposed by corporate America wanting a taste of it and, and sort of doing a Monday morning quarterbacking in regards to how can we get in on a promo, how can we get in on a marketing dollar that's already been spent. And that, that's classic uh, advertising. Why do you think? I mean, that goes back to everything, you know, every fucking sequel that we can think of with the except, with notable exceptions, obviously Empire Strikes Back or whatever, uh, suck. And why is that? Because the first film was honest and true and they put their fucking soul into it and a lot of their own money, whatever it was, or, or a good solid amount of studio money and belief was in that first project and they ran it well. And then part two comes around and they're just like, just throw money at it. I don't give a shit, you know. Every, just about every sequel that it, you know that, I remember another 48 hours broke my heart because it was so fucking terrible oh, and then no. they did the same thing with uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 I was like you're killing me you're fucking killing me with this shit because they took a movie that was initially corporate movie you know 48 hours the first one what they made it for maybe 5 10 million bucks but they knew they had Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte in it so it was definitely there were corporate interests involved that wanted that thank banked you. on its success you're welcome. thank you and, and it fucking hit, man. It's one of my favorite films. It's hysterical. It's exciting. It's everything. So they, what do they do? They come back around. Oh, we got to do the sequel. Here we go. They spent uh, $40 million on the budget or something like that. Depending, you know, God knows how much on, on below the surface in terms of what their, their salaries really were. Tony Scott, I think, directed it. Or it's either Tony Scott or something like that. They turned The script was horrible. It looked fantastic. And it was just a complete pile of shit. Same, same shit is going on with what you're describing in terms of, of you know, they want a Monday morning quarterback, uh, a whole YouTube-esque, uh, you know, kid campaign for the sake of, of dollars. And that's, it's gross. It's just marketing. So what, seeing just that, what, what excites me and what enthralls me is the fact that, you know, uh, as while a general populace is looking at YouTube and going, oh, what am I going to do, make the movie and put it on YouTube? You know, while the general populace is, like, looking at, at it in that way, what's comforting and crazy and exciting in a very strange and demented way is that the corporations are looking at it and going, wait a second, this is something we got to pay attention to here. Because if that's the case... It, it, what it, it's like the snake eating its own tail. It almost puts you right back, right back at the starting point now of going, hey, you know what now? I'm just going to trust in my visions and follow them where they're going and see what happens and where does it go. And th that's the beauty of like, like to, to get back to George Lucas and having his idea book of all these worlds. Yeah. You know, here, here he is. He just followed his... He didn't know where these ideas were going to be, like like Angela Moore with his ideas. He just he just like okay, here's a poem, not knowing what was going on. But then maybe one day in the studio, there he was. He was with those guys, and they're playing some funky thing. He's like, oh, ooh, I think I got just the lyrics. He runs over, gets his journal, he just starts singing along to it, and oh, look at that! I this thing that I wrote x amount of years ago had no idea that this day would arrive <laughs> and it's so amazing how that works creativity of an, the creativity of an idea can be different from the the calculus regarding the engineering of that idea right so you're writing an idea that is you, you're not quite sure what it is it's a poem it's a story idea it's a co i don't know and then three years go by, and then before you know it, you realize, oh, it is this. It is actually going to fit into slot X as opposed to Y or Z. Well, what's crazy for this, and, and this might actually be something, since you got so many ideas, when you start your podcast, okay. something I started doing was looking through 
all my, I'm looking through all my old journals and I'm just reading my ideas. Just going, I'm reading these ideas. If you guys want to use them, you're more than welcome to. But let's collaborate on it. You know, if you're yeah. going to use this idea well, for something, at least you'll like. May. You're an exception to the rule <laughs> in that regard, sir. I mean, it's rewarded for, to you tenfold. You know, you're you're the premier keyboardist for Yali Crew, and you're up to your eyeballs and buzzing. <laughs> You know, so it's it's you are rewarded for your your uh, artistic endeavors, but there is a whole school of thought that says my what's mine is mine, mm-hmm. and I don't know where I stand on that. And and for the most part, I really don't have too much of an issue with that. If somebody's going to steal a joke from me or, or something like that, okay, <laughs> I guess so. I'm flattered more than anything else. Well, it's interesting because I started looking at it like, okay, either a these ideas stay in this journal. And then at some point, I will create things with it. Or B, yeah. it will just stay in that journal. No one ever sees it. The other aspect was, okay, if I, at least if I start getting it out there, because the, the original idea was to just publish the journals. Just go, okay, here you go. Here, here are my ideas. Right. And, and I realized, well, if, if I were to hold on to these ideas and not let them be seen or be experienced... Um, I'm, it's like, it's almost like a message to myself that I don't trust that I'll come up with other great ideas to do stuff. The, the other interesting thing is, to go along with what you're saying, is as I'm reading these journals, I'm coming across ideas that I wrote down that I am actually currently doing that I didn't even realize, you know, there, it was back there in the subconsciousness, growing and growing. For instance, one of the things that I read in the journal, it said, create content for cell phones. Well, this was way before smartphones were out there. You know, create content for cell phones. And I just had that right down. And as I read it out loud, I go, wait a second, I am actually creating content for cell phones right now as I'm reading this thing. (laughs) And it just went, you know, it just exploded my brain. And I kept coming across all these other things where I'm going, well, okay, well, you know, there's this idea, or there's that idea. The other thing was, okay, if I read this out loud, in a sense... It's copyrighted, right? Because it's, I mean, at least in my brain, I'm thinking, because it's it's there, it's documented. We have a yeah. date and time stamp on the thing, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, everything is safe in that regard. Um, I think, uh, I don't know what I can talk about. Is it about. the idea of someone profiting off of the, the genius that, that, that beamed your antenna? No, I think it's just the idea of profiting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I... Th- I think it would, you know, if it's a friend, I don't know, not even if it's a friend. I think that it's it's somehow a worthy cause or belief. I'm I'm okay with it. Um, I think what what would bother me is if if there's a disrespect involved or something, you know, something of that nature. I don't know. I haven't really had uh, too many experiences in, in in that regard. I have seen uh, other people have that issue. But I mean, with what you're describing, with what you're talking about, it's it's it sounds like a perfectly decent thing to do, you know. Of course, that's you know, and especially in in the community that you're a part of, it's like yeah, that's you're open source in that regard, so it's gonna all it's gonna all come back to you. Well, that's such a crazy thing, an interesting and weird thing too, because it's like I almost feel it like as no different than if I were to write a book of poems or if I were to write a book of these things. You know, in a sense, this is my digital book of... Because this podcast, I treat like it's my sketchbook, like it's my idea book. Everything just goes right in here. 
Um, so any number of things that I could say, whether it's an idea that I read from the book or, or that just pops off my brain because I'm talking with the genius at the table, <laughs> all of those things, <laughs> all of these things are possible, should I say, piece, pieces of information that anyone can, you know, whether I know it or not, even swoop in and, and utilize, right. you know, that's, so that's the crazy thing. Right, well, I mean, that's, that's the litigation of it that only you and God can sort of deal with, you know, I, I can say this much, like, in regards to plagiarism, blatant plagiarism and stuff like that, yeah, that's fucked up, you know, and that's, I don't know, I mean, maybe, maybe we've discussed this or not, but there, there's a whole issue re in regards to copyright and just, uh, within screenplays and people who are submitting screenplays to agencies and studios, right? It's a big, big deal. And I'll, I'll send you a link privately. I mean, you can do with it what you want. And it's, it's 50 cases of, in which it was individual screenwriter versus studio. Studio always won. Studio always won. Studio mm. always won. I happen to be friends with uh, one of those people. One of those, it was a, a team of writers, and uh, and you saw how a studio took their idea oh and yeah. just went, right and it's all it. true. It's all true. They took an idea and made millions of dollars of it, and it got ugly. And my heart broke for them because they're wonderful people. And to this day, I'm still kind of like, I shake my fist at when I see you know seeing things that are related to it. And I'm like, you know. But you can't. You can't let that eat you up. You know, you'll, you'll die. You'll die because you, you can't win. <laughs> I think the redeeming thing of it is is forming a, a definition. You know, when we look at it, forming a definition that goes, well, you know what? The thing I can celebrate is that evidently I got some astounding ideas. Absolutely. Otherwise, they wouldn't be stolen. <laughs> Otherwise, someone wouldn't yeah, take I mean, them. So then I might as well be the me, dude. There's nothing but validation that could come from something like that. Yeah. Because it, you ain't got nothing else. Right, you know? right. <laughs> So yeah. absolutely, the validation side of it is going to kick in. And you're going to be, you're going to use that as a form of therapy in order to get get through the pain. You know what hurts is that it's showbiz, it's art, it's people. In for me, it's people who are to the left politically and and supposedly uh, you know on the right side of the fight and all that crap. And, and it it's heartbreaking to think of of uh, you know my friends put their trust in X amount of people. And into ex organizations and and uh, institutions, and you know institutions that they were on on the side of in, in a lot of ways, mm. and in in alignment with in a lot of ways, and they were completely betrayed. Just you know, just com thrown out of the train while the train is still going. You know, and to me that that sort of opened my eyes to yes, I believe in what you describe in terms of collaboration and open source and mm. giving and being decent of course I will always embrace that however there are some wicked fucking evil people out there and unfortunately I think what happens is the uh, the institutions uh, demand uh, sacrifice or, or evil or something because in, in the stories that I heard as far as what, what turned out it seemed like the people who, who stole their jobs were on the line they had to, you know what I mean? They had to uh, publish or perish, I guess you would mm. describe it. That would probably be the best way to describe it. And that's what they did, so they just stole. <laughs> they just stole. Now, are you, are you currently working on any new books that you're, uh, that you're excited about? 
Yes, I am. Because we actually we have basically <laughs> one and a half minutes here before. Th this won't let me record more than an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I want to hear, right. and and we can send people to your stuff. Uh, well, just uh, Instagram C Spivic. That's where I'm at. That's the easiest one. Well, then also your your current books that are out. My book, uh, Comedy Will Save Us All, is on Kindle. Just look up my name, and the book's there. Devil Country as well. That's yeah, good stuff. I am currently working on news short stories, and I'm doing stand-up again around town. And if you're in Los Angeles, just find me on Instagram, and I'll tell you where I'm where I'm gigging. I think that's dude. This this was a, a, a delicious conversation. It was ripe, rich, and ripe. Um, all right, everybody, take care. Subscribe to Inspirato Projecto on iTunes. You can subscribe to it. All right, take care.